When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It is a midweek, a hump day edition of Birds 365. You got your Mac and Mac guys, Jody McDonald and John McMullen, to hang with you for the next two hours. Should be a nice summer day. Mr. McMullen, how are you on this fine Wednesday? Doing well, Jody. Uh, tried to get in a little baseball last night. Can't do it. Want to thank Rob Manford for that. Want to get that off my chest. Uh, I don't know who makes decisions in, uh, in Major League Baseball, but I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan. Of baseball <laughs> or what's going on? No, I baseball. love baseball. I grew up with I'm like you. But they have tried to run people off. and for, I can't for the life of me. I can't understand who is making decisions in Major League Baseball. I can't understand it. Uh, I'm going to take Rob Manfred's. Well, I, I am, and I'm not going to take Rob Manfred's back. Uh, what we've seen the last two days since they've in, uh, instituted this sticky, sticky substance uh, breakdown with umpires and the like, I'm not putting on them. I'm putting on the cheating pitchers. I'm and not, some of the guys, not, including I'm, Max Scherzer, last night against the Phillies, you would think that he was being uh, dragged off to jail because they asked to check his uh, glove and his hat. Did you see that idiot Sergio Romo on the Bray A's last did. night? I did. I'm with Sergio. I, How I, is that, Rob? First of all, there's a long history. I'm not a big I, – I don't care about cheating. I don't care about steroids. I don't care about Bill oh. Belichick. I don't care about, uh, you know, Gaylord – think about Gaylord Perry back in the day. I don't care. There was a part of romantic. That was part of the romanticism of actual baseball, the spitball, whatever you want to call it. You know, loaded bats we've had. Look, I'm not saying uh, it, when you start talking about a loaded bat, for instance, that's where I draw the line. Uh, when you start talking about tricks of the trade, uh, like people in Philadelphia, put, a, we'll bring put them back. all back on steroids. Is that what you're saying? I don't care. I, I, I don't care for this reason, Jody. It, look at it from a Hall of, Hall of Fame perspective. I, I saw the best player of a generation and the best pitcher of a generation banned, essentially, by Hall of Fame voters. They're not in the Hall of Fame. So that Hall of Fame is meaningless to me because you have these people like me, journalists, judging, okay, I know what Barry Bonds did. I don't know what the damn pitchers did that were throwing to Barry Bonds. You think they weren't juiced up as well? If no. you want to put if you want to put a plaque up and say this is the steroid era and try to educate people, I have no problem with that. 
But to keep the best players out because of a moral judgment, I, I'm not a fan of that. That's, but, that's, but that's, what, that's what rules are all about. We have rules in life. We have rules in sports. And if that makes us moral judges, so be it. Is holding cheating in the NFL? Um, no, that's just uh, an in-game infraction. People do it on purpose. Is that cheating? Yeah, um, I think they try and get away with it, but I don't yeah. think anybody does it on purpose, uh, knowing that they're going to get caught. If they thought, if they knew they were going to get caught, well, they wouldn't of course, do it. if they knew they were going to get caught, they wouldn't do it. I talked to offensive right, linemen. But when you get caught, you get penalized. That's they throw fine. the flag and they back it up 15 yards. That's if fine. you take steroids, if you use illegal substances, if you get caught, there's a price to be paid. Uh, that's fine. I don't care about the penalty. Uh, the, now, if you talk about somebody's legacy and you're going to try to tell me Barry Bonds or Roger Clemens, even Pete Rose, who, who did nothing against the game, aren't Hall of Fame players because of things they did off the field. It's not a Hall of Fame for best people. It's a Hall of Fame for best baseball players. It's a museum of the game. So that's part of it. The second, you know, if you talk about Bill Belichick, Look, in NASCAR, they, they say if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. You know, you, you try by hook or by crook. That's where that cliche came from, to win a football game, to win a baseball game, to win a basketball game. So I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, this is out of bounds. This isn't out of bounds. You can cheat this way, but you can't cheat that way. That's what you have the officials well, for. Yeah, That's bring you have bring the steroid for. guys back, get them all juiced up again. Guess don't, what? They never don't have, have, don't have rules. Why would you they have never rules left. in a game of sports? You think they remove steroids from baseball? They're in baseball. Growth hormone's bigger than steroids. People don't even know what growth hormone is in a steroid. You think performance-enhancing drugs have been barred from baseball? There are, think, guys, there are guys juiced up right now. I, I think it is significantly less than it once was because they cracked down and implemented drug testing. They did uh, a yeah, good job. I, I, think, I think the percentage is minuscule as to what it used to be. Well, uh, I disagree with that. But, but, you know, when you talk about they've done a good PR job, uh, you know, I've done a lot of work with steroid testing from everything from pro wrestling, which, you know, I'm a fan of to, 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 to bodybuilding where it is like a huge part of the sport for guys, you know, even in football where people would say, well, that guy's fat. You know, I, I covered uh, Pat Williams for a number of years, just a big 330 pound guy. And they say, well, he's not, a, he got caught for performance and enhancing drugs at one point. And people would say, well, he's just got to be, he's fat. He, he's not taking performance enhancing drugs that, they're doing it for a different reason. In pro wrestling, you do it for the look. So right. you're trying to build up your body. In football, you do it for the strength. And Pat Williams is one of the strongest guys in the entire NFL. He's using them for a different reason. Um, my, my, my larger point, we got down this rabbit hole, is you don't know who did them and you don't know who didn't do them. So you can say, okay, whoever got caught, whoever got caught, and you know the baseball report, the Mitchell report, which is essentially, I call it the cut and paste report because he took everybody else's work and just put it in a big volume. There are so many names in that that are nobodies, nobodies. 
absolute nobodies playing Major League Baseball. Nobody cares. Nobody cares about them. Nobody but, cares. But if, his, if his job was to investigate everyone, he's going to uh, no, but my report point is all the names that they are, uh, not just the all-star players, but all the players who he found evidence of them cheating. Here's my point, Jody. If Jason Grimsley is gassed up and on a Tuesday night in San Francisco, he strikes out Barry Bonds, which probably never happened, but because <laughs> he never struck out, especially late. Um, nobody knows. Was it the steroids that enabled him to get Barry Bonds out? I don't know. You don't know. Nobody knows. But people are very comfortable judging Barry Bonds because, A, number one, he's a terrible human being. He, he was horrible to people he dealt with. But he was a great baseball player, and I'm not going to say he wasn't. I'm not going to say he wasn't, and I'm not going to keep him out of the museum of baseball. But the bigger point with Rob Manford is, look, the analytics have ruined the game. We know that. The launch angle, people are talking about Max Scherzer last night. His, what a, you know, he had a low rotation rate, spin rate, sorry, spin rate. I, I don't give a crap about spin rate. So that's number one. But number two, then you're stopping the game more with these stupid rules, upsetting the players, upsetting the managers. It's just terrible. And I used to love the sport. That's the problem, Jody. I used to love the sport, and they are they are they are pushing me away from it. Well, uh, I think the sport had to react because the players were deciding to build a better mousetrap, to come up with a better substance to cheat with. Rules well in place, well before this year. You're not allowed to use illegal substances. That's been the case forever. And they're just enforcing the rules that have already been in place. And the reason that they've got to get as drastic is because, to the player's credit, they're cheating better. They're making a better effort. They're coming up with better substances to cheat with. So MLB had to up its game to try and catch them from cheating so they can keep some integrity we, in the we, game. We talked to Connor Orr about unintended consequences. Max brought this up last night. So if he hits somebody in the head with a 95-mile-an-hour fastball because he can't get a grip on the uh, on the baseball, what about that unintended consequence? Well, then here's what I would suggest to Max Scherzer. If he wasn't able to get a good enough grip on the ball last night, why was that? Could it be because he had could it be because he had been cheating previously and now Major League Baseball, which oh by the way, the thing that I'm most critical of baseball is they said they made an announcement that they're going to crack down. They didn't implement it for almost two and a half weeks. They said we're gonna go through it, we're gonna come up with a punishment, we're gonna implement, and it took them two and a half weeks to do so. Well, there was a very obvious reason why they did it. They wanted the cheaters to stop and get used to pitching without the substances that they've been using. And that's exactly what's transpired. Well, when Max Scherzer says, I couldn't grip the ball well enough, and I came up and him to Alex Bohm, so don't blame me if I hit Alex Bohm in the head. Well, why'd you ever start cheating in the first place, Max? Why did you get to a point where you had to have a foreign substance to be able to grip the ball to your liking? Well, number one, if everybody cheats, is it cheating? Yes, Oh, okay. Well, I'll disagree with that. So you're going to take now, maybe because there is no offense in baseball, maybe they want to slow things down for the pitchers. 
who are dominating. So, you know, I got that, that with that, Bob. That's pretty much it, Johnny Mac. Good call by you. I got that with Bob Gibson, you know, when they had to lower the pitching mound back in the day because he was too dominant. So, you know, but here, here's my point, and you can use this in society as general. You know, if you already have rules in place, you start to over-legislate. Been one of my many criticisms of the NFL. It's just a terribly over-legislated game. If you're Joe Girardi and you think Max Scherzer's using something, and he's got something in his cap, you, there was no two-and-a-half-week rule. You could have went to the umpire and said, I think he's got Vaseline. I think he's got an emery board. Go check him. It was already in place. You don't have to slow down a game that's already too slow and you've already lost a younger generation. That The laws were already in place. Already there, Jody. So right. and, what, and what are we doing? So, so what did Joe Girardi do wrong last night? But, but he didn't do anything wrong. I'm not right. saying Joe. I'm saying it was already in place. I'm saying you don't have to. These umpires on occasion are just checking pitchers coming off all over the league because of the mandate two and a half weeks ago. I'm saying the legislation already existed. It was in the hands of the managers. They could do what they want with it. And if they say, I think so-and-so, I think Garrett Cole's got an Emory board, you go out and check for an Emory board. I think so-and-so has a loaded bat, you go x-ray the bat. It's always been there. Why are they slowing the game down even further? But if you're going to go out there and say, please check them, you're slowing the game down, which is more important, the extra 45 seconds to check and see if a guy's got uh, a foreign substance on see You don't see the redundancy of having something already in place and creating something else that even slows it down more. Look, there's no question, because a lot of these guys, it kind of legislated itself, because a lot of these guys, you know, one of the most famous rules and fractions ever was the pine tar game with Billy Martin. You know that. Maybe younger fans don't know that. I always thought they handled that wrong. I said, to me, it's like Bill Belichick, who came up with the formational tricks against the Baltimore Ravens, and he came up with the clock draining trick in the fourth quarter. Look, he found a loophole. Good for him. Afterwards, you fix the loophole, and that's what the NFL did. I rarely criticize the NFL. And in baseball, guess what? Billy Martin, he found this arcane rule that didn't mean anything. Nobody else knew it. He won a game for his team, and they talked about, I don't know, the spirit of the rule or some kind of crap of that. No, you say you you tip your cap to Billy Martin, and you say, Afterwards, we're going to fix this. This is not what we meant. So right. uh, my point is, guys are always trying to win, and they will do anything humanly possible to win. If you find an issue afterwards, redundancy isn't an issue. They already had something in place to deal with this. Now, one of the biggest issues, I think you have to agree with me on this, Jody, with younger people, is they can't sit and watch a baseball game. And you're making it more difficult for them to watch a baseball game. That's my problem. Right. That's well, my what, problem. What, what it comes down to is a judgment. Which do you think is tuning people out more? The length of games or the fact that it's two to one? Because the pitchers are stone cold dominating. And that's w- the way it's been in Major League Baseball this season. Uh, the, the batting averages are way down. The ERAs are up. The strikeouts are way up. 
the game is not offensive generated uh, the way that it's being played this year. And baseball is always self-analyzing itself and trying to figure out why that is the case. They have a perfect game that they would like to present, and they're going to try and do what it takes to present that game that they think is best for their entire population, both their older well, and fan base what, and, and their and, younger and, fan and base. And that's what I don't understand. Because Theo Epstein was the guy, and, and I give him all the credit in the world. Look, Theo Epstein was trying to win, and he won at an unbelievable level. He 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 broke two curses, the two biggest curses yeah. in baseball history. And he admitted last year, I think it was last year, he admitted, look, I'm part of the problem uh, for going the analytics route, for making the game less entertaining, for talking, for for preaching launch angle and the fact you say pitchers dominate they do dominate statistically but are they dominating or is it the fact that people are teaching the game wrong and worried about launch angle not worried about station to station baseball worried about the odds that say you're more likely to hit a three-run home run than get three consecutive singles which i i think is great but if you sacrifice bond, if you get somebody over a small sample size, we all know the argument. Um, he admitted, look, I'm part of the problem. This game is not as entertaining. This game is not entertaining because of what we and people like Theo Epstein have done to the game. He understands that. He's not working with Major League Baseball. They got to change, Jody. But here's the thing. As I said, it's, it's the organization's jobs, individual organizations. Their job is to win every game possible. But it's the league's job to, to, to keep the game popular, to keep the fans engaged. So if somebody comes up, if they're counting cards at the casino and they found to change the rules. Right. Change the well, rules. And that, that's what baseball did this year by implementing now, I'm not talking about over pitchers. legislation. I'm not talking about over. I'm saying – Nobody, nobody uh, banned the shift. Say two infielders got to be on one. Easiest fix in the history of the world. Two infielders got to be on one side. Two infielders got to be on, on the other side. Easiest fix in the world. They're worried about redundant tackiness rules. I, yeah. I don't get, I don't get, I don't get the Major League Baseball office. They, their eye is not on the prize of making the game more popular. Well, That's I, the goal. That I, should be the goal. I, I disagree with you. I think what they're doing is the, an attempt to improve their game, and they felt they needed to get it done now slowly as they drag their feet, but they have gotten it done. And have the, you seen the, the, and the players who are And the ones who are probably complaining are probably not cheaters. Chances are Max Scherzer is not a cheater. He doesn't need to cheat. He's just that good and just that talented. But the pitchers coming off the mound acting like petulant childs because the uh, umpires are taking 30 seconds to check their glove and hat is not helping baseball at all. That's on the players. That's not on Rob Manfred. I don't uh, – well, I know I know Max Scherzer's spin rate was down, so people think he's a cheater. I know Garrett, Garrett Cole's spin rate is down, so people think the best pitchers in baseball are cheaters. Yeah, they might They might. I know well people be. think the Houston Astros are cheaters, even though the New York Yankees were cheating and the Boston Red Sox. And, oh, by the way, everybody else, Jody, because everybody steals signs. 
So who gives the you know what? Well, uh, the the Astros have a world championship that they're never going to have to give back. Uh, so uh, more power to them. They got away with it. But the fact that baseball did uh, attempt to punish them, at least in part, I think is them doing their job. All right. Uh, we're doing our job here on Birds 365. We're going to get back into the football. Dave Gonzaro of NBC Sports Philadelphia will hop aboard. Yes, Eagle fans, we promise. Eagle Talk coming right here on Birds 365. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say. But as I always say. It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest. Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods, your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. This is a key. It's a family tree. It's a pair of wings. It's a secret handshake. And a ticket to anywhere in the world. It's more than a uniform. It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's Army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com. Wednesday edition of Birds 365. With your Akamak guys, John McMullen and Jody McDonald. We are adding a third individual for insight here on this 
Wednesday get together. It is our buddy from NBC Sports Philly, NBC Sports Philly.com, Mr. Dave Zingaro. <laughs> Dave, how's the summer treating you so far? It's treating me pretty good. How are you guys doing? Doing well, Dave. Good to see you. Uh, you're you a big too. vacation guy, but obviously the pandemic has uh, affected traveling. Uh, do you have anything planned uh, for the dead time? Yeah, nothing great. Um, I mean, it's still going to be great. I'm, I'm heading to uh, to Maine at the end of this week. Uh, All right. Just for a week, it should be fun. Headed to uh, do some outdoorsy type stuff. Yeah, it's been tough for me. You know that like I, yeah. I'm, I'm normally uh, out of the country, but it's, it's just too tough right now to, to pull off some of those trips. So I'll stay in the States, and then next year I'll, I'll do some big trips again. Now, you're talking to a guy who has been vacationed in Maine several times. My wife, uh, her, her father, my uh, father-in-law, may he rest in peace, is from Maine. So we did summers up there a ton of years over the last 25. Where exactly in Maine are you going? Yeah, we're going to uh, first the Baxter State Park, um, all the way kind of n- north a little bit. And then we're coming back to Acadia on the way back. Yeah, both of those more northern than I did. We we get about a, a quarter of the way into the state, and that, that's enough. We don't need to fight with Canadians. This is far enough into Maine for us. We'll stop here just north of Portland. But it is a, a great state and a great time to be there because even in the summers, it's not all that hot. So uh, enjoy. Have a good time. I, you. When you come back, the Eagle season will be that much closer. We're 80 days away from kickoff. They've had their workouts None of them mandatory uh, in this uh, lead up to uh, camp uh, before this summer downtime. Did they accomplish what they needed to accomplish in your eyes? Well, it was better than nothing, you know, and that was kind of what they were looking at. They were looking at nothing because uh, the NFLPA kind of pushed teams to, to not show up to these voluntary practices. So I actually think it was a pretty big win for Nick Sirianni to even – have some semblance of an OTAs. I don't think it's a, look, look, I think anytime on the field, especially for a new coach, new offensive coach, new defensive coach, all that helps. Uh, so I don't think it's as good as if like they had a normal off season and they had all the OTAs and the mandatory mini camp, but it was better than nothing. And I, I think that time is valuable. And it, it was to me, honestly, it was the first little hurdle that Nick Sirianni's had as the head coach. Because <laughs> It's not a huge hurdle, but it's something because, uh, he was faced with not having any kind of spring with his team except for three days of mandatory camp. And I uh, give him credit. He he got together with the veterans, and I'm, I'm sure some of it was the the front office too, but they yeah. figured out a way to, to make it work, and they had pretty good attendance uh, for the, the two weeks that they did have voluntary practices. I thought it was a decent compromise to, to have those voluntary practices kill the mandatory camp, and I think they they benefited from it. Did they get enough done? I mean, that's that's all kind of relative, but I think it's better than nothing. Now, to play devil's advocate there a little bit, Dave, there were teams that kind of held the ground, and they had mandatory minicamp around the league, and they had good attendance, and ultimately guys showed up. Do you think as a rookie head coach, and, and maybe this is more of a Howie, Jeffrey Lurie question, the Eagles should have pushed a little bit harder to keep it in place, and even if certain guys didn't show up, veterans, you know, I'm not pointing fingers, but people that don't need really off-season work, the Fletcher Coxes, the world, Brandon Grimes, players like that, young players do need off-season work. So do you think they should have went a little bit more hard line 
like some of the other teams in the NFL? I don't know. I, I mean, I think if they did that, it's it's starting off Sirianni's time here a little with a contentious nature. Yeah. I mean, saying we're going to force guys to come. Um, and look, we know the deal. It's it, it's voluntary for some. It's yeah. not voluntary for all exactly. these guys. It's the rookies have to show up. They, you know, they're going to show up. But I wonder, like the middle level guys, if they would have shown up. And and look, I mean, the Fletcher Coxes, Brandon Grams, they weren't there for every day, but they showed up to these yeah. voluntary camps. I mean, Darius Slay was there for a lot of it. So um, I get what you're saying, and, and maybe it would have worked out fine. But I don't know if that's the right way for Nick Sirianni to start his time, especially with his personality. He is a player's coach. I mean, he's we've learned that about him so far that the guys are going to really like him. So I don't know if he were to just kind of draw a line in the sand, you know, day one, if that would have played really well. So I, I think they played it right. I do. Uh, it's not ideal. It's, it, it isn't. I mean, I think ideal is to have the full thing, but that looked like it was never going to happen. We haven't uh, had you on since the Eagles – have uh, made a change at the QB3 position, the third-string quarterback. Um, Jamie Newman was released after uh, guys like myself said, hey, hell of a sign for an undrafted player. Uh, kind of, He's bigger, but kind of plays the game like Jalen Hurts, be a nice developmental guy, a good job by the Eagles because a bunch of teams were after him. He was here about 10 minutes, and I cut him. <laughs> um, and they went out and got Nick Mullins, who was probably the most accomplished quarterback left on the free agent market um uh, i'm gonna trust the eagles you guys were in there for like if jamie newman was cut in 10 minutes then you guys got to watch for five so we can't really say we saw the reason why jamie newman was cut none of us really know but we'll give the organization that much credit they cut the guy for a reason something was wrong here but they end up going to mullins uh any i know it's third string and it's probably not going to affect the overall record of the eagles but uh, did you understand and or like or dislike what the Eagles did at their third uh, string quarterback position? Yeah, well, well, when they signed Newman, we all kind of went, oh, we know that name. Like, that's someone who we think could be good. But then with the undrafted guys, it, I, I tell everyone every year, you follow the money. Um, he was the only undrafted player they didn't give any guaranteed money to. There was no signing bonus. Uh, so I don't know. I, I don't think other teams were after him. I, I think the Eagles said, hey, we'll bring you in. We'll look at you. And we'll see. And obviously he was underwhelming. Um, I think ideally they would have a third string quarterback who was a developmental guy. If, if they could have found a late round quarterback or an undrafted quarterback this year to fit that, that to me, that would be what you want. But it also appears like they didn't see that guy out there this year. And, and I thought there were a few options, like a guy like Costello, KJ Costello is someone with tools. I thought you could bring along. Um, but they clearly didn't feel that way. So um, Mullins, look, he he has some skills. It, it's not like he's he's a nothing. He has some skills. He's not very good, and he's 26. So it's not like he's he's super young, but he's not super old either. I think the 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 high point or the peak maybe for a guy like Mullins is next year Flacco's gone and Mullins is your backup. I mean, I think that's probably the ceiling for Nick Mullins. But that's okay. I mean, if you if you have a guy like Mullins who you bring along in your system, he learns it well, you feel like, okay, he's a veteran who could maybe get us through a couple games. Maybe he can be that backup next year for Jalen Hurts or, or whoever the quarterback is. Mullins is your number two. I'm okay with it. Um, I still think they would have been better off 
maybe using a late-round pick on a quarterback or finding a good undrafted player, but I get why they went to Nick Mullins. Now, Dave, I've thrown this at Jody. He disagrees with me, so I'm going to throw it at you. And people talk about developmental quarterbacks. I argue the Eagles have a developmental quarterback. He's just the starting quarterback. So they had that guy in the building who they had to develop. So maybe it's a little bit turning things on their head to have the two veterans as the backup because you do have a guy who's a work in progress as a starting quarterback. Yeah, but you can develop more than one at a time. And, and Jalen Hurts, like, I get that he's developing, but he's your starter. So he gets different attention than the third stringer would get. You know, he's going to get attention from the top guys in the organization. Whereas if you had, you know, Jamie Newman or KJ Costello or someone like that, they're going to get different type of attention. They're going to get um, the scrap heap reps. Yeah. You know, they're not going to get it, yeah. It's a different deal. I get what you're saying, yeah. but. Um, it, it's a lot different to develop a guy who's in your starter role than it is a third stringer. So I think they could have done it. Um, but like ultimately, third it's the third string quarter. Yeah. See, to me, developmental, and you can define it any way you want in your own mind, developmental means no expectations, that you are being given uh, a less scrutiny because you are still in the developmental process. When you're the first-string quarterback, well, there's kind of expectations. you got to go out and play and win. So, yes, I believe the developmental tag comes off. But John and I just see that differently. Um, the Eagles and Zach Ertz, still here. Although, I don't think you're guilty. Some uh, reporters here in town had him gone three months ago, two months ago, a month ago, a week ago, and he's still here. We understand now there's no reason for the Eagles to do anything until camp opens up. So we're now sitting around for another month when we're not expecting to see Zach Ertz happen. But when they do get to camp, uh, most people believe they'd prefer not to have Zach there and or make Zach not show up and have to deal with it as well. When is this all going to shake out, Dave? <laughs> I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, I kind of thought he'd be gone by now, honestly. Um, there, there were a few, like not deadlines, but there are a few moments on the calendar where you thought this is the time. So, the first one was the draft, and he thought, I'll get moved during the draft. That makes a lot of sense. Didn't happen. Uh, then he thought, maybe after the draft, maybe a team doesn't draft a guy, and they'll, they'll, nope, didn't happen then. June 1st comes around. All of a sudden, the Eagles have incentive. Deadlines, some, sometimes, like, they, they spring action. Didn't happen then. So, yeah, the next date is training camp, if, if the Eagles want to try to unload him before training camp. But, I mean, Howie's made it pretty clear. He's also come out and said, like, hey, this guy is available, but I'm not going to give him away. And it's a tough thing to figure out how much is he worth, especially because he has a really expensive contract. Like, if he was on the open market right now, there's no way he makes the money he's going to make mm -hmm. on his deal right now. So if I'm another team and I'm watching this thinking, the Eagles don't want him, why am I going to trade an asset to get him if I think there's a chance they're going to release him? So right. I think that's kind of the cat and mouse game right now between teams and, and maybe teams will call the Eagles bluff and they'll say, well, then bring them to camp, bring them to camp and, and have that circus. And, and if you're going to keep them, keep them. I don't think that's going to happen. I, I think it, there's kind of too much toothpaste out of the tube already. I don't think you can put it back in. Uh, from a football standpoint, they'd be a better team with him, but yeah. I, I don't know if, if it makes sense. Let me ask you a follow-up on that. If they do, they wait 
Uh, Howie's holding out for the draft. It's just not coming. The league looks at it the way you just described. Uh, we are daring you to release him. We believe you're going to release him. So we're not going to give you a pick, Howie. Sorry, it's not happening. If they keep him in the camp, if they do drag this out, if they make him no show by saying, I'm just not showing up at the Eagle camp and then start to accrue fines, will the organization take a PR hit because one of their best players ever at his specific position, you've kind of made it be known that he you don't want him. He certainly made it known he doesn't want to be here. Just cut the ties and move on. If they do drag this out after camp opens up, how uh, critiqued will the Eagles be by the Eagle fans and or the other players in the locker room, which might actually be more important? Yeah, I mean, I don't think the players in the locker room would feel a certain type of way about it. I, I mean, I, I think that players in the locker room kind of understand that it's kind of a unique business situation. Um, yeah, as far as public perception, I, I think that they would hope that it would flip a little bit. Like, hey, we're happy to have Zach in camp, you know, and he's not here. Uh, I don't know if that would work. Yeah. I don't know what would happen. I, 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 you know, you, you kind of hope that it doesn't get too ugly between the player and the team, because look, he is an all time Grady. I mean, he cut the game when it cuts down on the Super Bowl for crying out loud. You, you hope that like eventually in, you know, 10 years, he can come back to the stadium and they can do a nice ceremony for him. And, and it's not contentious, but it's, it's tricky. It is. It absolutely is tricky because um, he, he's, he's got to be frustrated, right? Because he, he wants to know where he's going to play next year. And uh, we heard some of that, the reports of his frustration a while back. Yeah. Uh, but I also, I like, I get what Howie's doing too. He wants to try to maximize value and he should, that's his job. Uh, I think at a certain point, they're going to have to make a decision though. I, I don't think you can just, um, let this hover over the team for, you know, all of training camp. I think if, if it doesn't happen during training, I mean, it has to happen during training camp, right? You, you have to know if this yeah. guy's playing here or not. And uh, I don't think he will be. Well, and that's my question, Dave, about Zach is, is it fair? We just talked about Nick Sirianni, his first hurdle, the offseason work, uh, working out things with the veterans. Is it fair for a rookie head coach to bring them to camp and you have that circus, as you described, even though Zach, we all know Zach, Zach's going to be professional, but everything is going to be centered around Zach Ertz. His teammates are going to be asked the question. The coaches are going to be asked the question. It is going to be a circus, at least for a couple of days. Why do you want to do that to a rookie head coach for a player you've decided, good or bad, you probably don't want anymore? Yeah, I, I wonder. I don't know how. It's not like he's the starting quarterback. You know, I. It's not like it's Green Bay right now, you know. <laughs> that's yeah. not the No, that's a I mean, but that's, that's a big top. It'll be a couple of days. You know, one one. It'll be a couple of days of like yeah. if he's if he's not there, you know, asking teammates what they think about it. Yeah, but yeah. you know, I mean, I don't know if it's enough to to say. Well, we can't have that. We got to release them. I I just think that the overall like the grand scheme of things, you don't want it. You don't want that situation. You want to resolve it. Uh, and I, they, they would have resolved it a while ago if they were getting decent value back, and they're not. So that's what it comes down to for Howie. He, he's going to try to wait this out. And so maybe it'll work. You know, it, it, it kind of feels like the Carson situation a little bit where eventually they were like, all right, we got to take this deal because it's not going to be there anymore. Um, obviously, they're not going to get a second-round pick yeah. that could turn into a first for Zach Ertz. But 
Um, I, it kind of feels like that, like how he is just waiting and waiting and, and hoping someone else comes in and it's just not happening. Maybe let's flip over to the other side of the ball. Uh, Cause you know, we talk about Zach Kurtz every day and the number two cornerback on this team every single day. But instead of that, I'm going to back it up a little bit and go to the safety position uh, off what maybe you heard rumors and the like, and just conversation about the team uh, in their non-voluntary <laughs> Uh, workout, uh, non-mandatory workouts is um, is Rodney McLeod going to be ready to go by the first game of the regular season? I'm not even asking about that because I think he's a veteran enough guy even though it's a whole new system, a whole new coaching staff, if he can get in enough practice reps, I'm not worried about him playing in preseason games. Is he going to be ready to go by game number one? He's confident he will be. I'm a little more skeptical than him but I understand why he's confident. Um, he's been through it before. So look, he knows where he should be in his recovery. So it's one of those things where you kind of have to take his word for it. Um, at least for now that if he says he's going to be ready, he's been through the injury before he should know the steps. He should know how his body needs to feel week one. It's, it's not a, I don't think that's a guarantee. Uh, I think early in the season for sure, he'll be back, um, based on the timeline, uh, and look, if he's not back, I'm I'm actually intrigued to see some of the young safeties. Uh, they have Kayvon Wallace, who had a really great college career, and, and I, I wish, honestly, we would have seen more of in his rookie season. And Marcus Epps, I know that fans Damn. are kind of down on him. I want to get has, an Epsy out there. I like Epsy. He has, he has some skills, and he, he has some familiarity with, the Vikings or like yeah. part of at least what we think they're going to run here. So uh, I wouldn't sleep on him either getting some play. So I actually kind of want to see what these young safeties have and look, they can do that in the preseason, but if they need to play and one of those guys is going to play in the season anyway, I mean, at yeah. times they're going to have to go to three safety looks. So um, I, I'm, I'm intrigued by Kayvon Wallace, especially. And I think Rodney will be, if he's not ready for week one, it'll be soon thereafter. But while we're on the safety position, I'm curious to see how McLeod and Anthony Harris play together. They, because they kind of play the same position. Yeah, they do. Um, and uh, we haven't talked about it a lot, but they're both kind of deep safeties. And I'm guessing Rodney will be the guy in the box. I don't know what they're going to do. Um, but that's something that you, they talk about how interchangeable these safeties are, and that's true. But – they do have to play. They have to play different positions, kind of at times. So, I don't exactly know who's going to be who in, in that defense yet. Yeah, and I I kind of get the feeling we're going to see a lot of cover two and cover three, and they're yeah. both going to be back a lot. And that's why I think Marcus Epps might have a leg up as well on on Kayvon Wallace. But uh, to kind of piggyback off that, be pre vacation, Dave Zangaro, I want to get you on record. I want a breakout player on both sides of the football, but I'm going to put one caveat. No Devontae Smith, because I think we all expect him to hit the ground running and be a, a difference maker. So somebody who's been here or maybe uh, a lesser-known rookie, Jacoby Stevens maybe, somebody on both sides of the ball that you think is going to step forward and improve a lot, whether it's year two, year three, whatever. Okay. Um, can I include I, – I feel like this is almost a cop-out if I say 
Dallas Goddard. Is that a cop out? A little bit of a cop out because he's a really good player. That's a top yeah. ten tight end. That, but I hear yeah. what you're saying. You yeah. can use Dallas Goddard because I think he's going to have a big year. I think he's going to be a Pro Bowl level tight end. Yeah, I do too. I, I think he's going to catch seventy balls, and I think that the offensive line being a lot better is really going to help him because he's not going to need to be in as much blocking. He's such. It's it's almost like it, it to his detriment how good of a blocker oh, he yeah. is in line. Yeah. Because he doesn't like last year, he was in line so much yeah. because they needed him to block that, like, he didn't see what he could do as a receiver. But this year, if the line's better, they're going to let him actually go out and catch passes. I think he's going to have a huge year. So it's a little bit of a cop out, but I'll take Dallas Goddard on offense and I'll, I'll give you a better one on defense. I'll say Milton Williams. Oh, I, I just think that if he gets in there and he had gets some reps next to Fletcher Cox. Milton Williams is going to be able to beat a one-on-one just with raw explosion athleticism. I'm not saying he's the finished product. I'm not saying he might not be a liability in the run game at times as a rookie, but I think he can, he can sneak out there and get four or five sacks this year. So I think he could end up having a really nice rookie season. I Dave, like the I, Milton Williams one. Yeah, I uh, like it. I, I do like it, too. I would have been intrigued if you had gone here. So let me just ask you about the player straight up. Um, I certainly would have accepted Travis Fulgham as a potential breakout guy. He is, for me, the toughest guy to handicap coming into the season because he had that unbelievable stretch where he was not only good, he was one of the best receivers in the National Football League for basically a month. And then it was almost like a magic act. He disappeared. Well, you got to bring him back out of the hat again this year and analyze what he's going to be able to give the Eagles. If you believe that Devontae is going to be that good and that they're going to work very hard to get Jalen Rager up to speed of the first round, uh, being meritorious of that first round draft pick last year. And Greg Board is Greg Board. He's very good at what he does. It's not explosive. It's not going to wow anybody or make highlight films. All he does is catch the football. How does Travis Fulgham fit in? Is he going to be a disappearing guy or is he going to reemerge as one of the best receivers? That's a wide berth between not involved in one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. Where does Fulgham fall in? Yeah, I think you hit it right straight down the fairway there. I don't think he's, I don't think he's the best receiver in the league. And I don't, I don't think he's nothing. Like, I don't think that's a fluke that you have five games in a row like that. So, um, and I think I'll have some opportunity too, because I really like the idea of moving Rager inside a lot. Like I, I think that getting more explosive, not, nothing wrong with Greg Ward. I like Greg Ward. He's steady, move the chain, sure-handed guy, but Rager gives you more explosion from the inside. So I like the idea that I'm sliding him in and then that'll give Fogum or someone some reps outside. And I think Fogum will probably get the first crack at those. What is he? I, I don't know what he is. I, I think he can make some plays. But remember, also, last year, a lot of those were, were timing throws. They were him going up and catching the ball. And it was the other quarterback. It was Carson Wentz. I mean, he didn't do this with Jalen Hurts. So um, those two need to get on the same page. They need to – a lot of what he does is the quarterback needing to trust him. So they have to build a rapport before Fulgham would do that again. So I think there are real questions. And last year, he also got hurt. I mean, he had he had uh, surgery after the season, so uh, I don't know how much that affected him. 
you're right. I mean, it's the biggest mystery with this team, and I, I don't know the answer to it. My guess is it's somewhere down the middle. He's not that guy, and he's not nothing. He's somewhere in the middle, and I, I think he'll be a decent receiver for the Eagles. I don't know if he's necessarily um, like their answer. Dave, we talk to a lot of national guys on this show as well, and I can tell you there are not a lot of expectations for this team nationally. And I think it comes down to the coach, rookie head coach, unproven, and a quarterback, a first-time starter, uh, unproven. If this team were to overachieve, I think it's got to be the offensive line. I I think it's got to be that group. And you wrote at NBC Sports, Billy, about Jeff Stoutland recently. Everybody should go check that out. But uh, if that group is together for 16 games, which is a big if, how much better – does that make the Philadelphia Eagles? A ton. I mean, that's where, honestly, that's where all their problems started last year to me. Um, because you can argue their biggest problem last year was the quarterback, right? He was awful. Awful. He was, he was horrendous. But he's not that bad if he has time. He just isn't. He doesn't get in his head. It doesn't spiral. He might be here right now if, if the offensive line was intact last year or at least held up a little bit better it's the best unit on the team if you had to rank their position groups in terms of talent the offensive line is at the top of the list but there are so many question marks around it um with kelsey's age and lane and brandon brooks coming back from injury the question of left tackle who wins the job landon dickerson is their top backup but what's his health situation um but if that line is together jalen Hurst is going to look a lot better i I think that that's yeah, – you're right. It's the key to this entire season, that offensive line. If they're decent, I think they can be – they can, yeah, slightly – I don't think they're going to be like a, a contending team this year, but you're talking about in a weak division sticking in it for a little while. And that's, I think, what you can hope for this year if you're an Eagles fan. Dave, uh, John and I go back to this every once in a while um, to Nick Sirianni's first press conference. When shoot, it might have been Dave Zingaro who asked the question, uh, do you control the 53-man roster? And the coach's response was, I think so. Uh, I don't really know, uh, which tells you the answer to the question. The answer is no, uh, that Howie Roseman is going to have a massive input, if not complete control, of that 53-man roster. Uh, so working under that assumption, outside linebacker for this team this year, you got a bunch of guys who are going to compete and going to have a chance if they all play equally, like no one steps up and shines, no one stinks, that they're all basically contributing, breaking down the film about the same level. Davion Taylor, Jacoby Stevens, Jannard Avery, a guy who was traded for, a guy who was a mid-round pick uh, the year before, uh, an earlier pick the year before, a late pick this year with Jacoby Stevens. What is Howie going to look to protect most? Which is the one that is going to make Howie look the worst if the Eagles decide, all right, we're moving away from this guy? How do you think that competition at that position is going to play out? Well, and so if there's like one spot left on the roster and it's between Jacoby Stevens and, and Jarrett Avery, uh, I think – it, that's a unique circumstance because they're very different. They're they're yeah. both technically linebackers, I guess, but one's right. kind of a, a pass rusher. One's more of a, a safety linebacker hybrid. So 
they might be able to get by on that by like which which player type do we need more um but i i think avery's kind of had his chances here like if you're yeah i think if you're looking at if they're all things were equal avery's had chances here i don't think you'd want to cut a promising rookie even though you probably could get stevens to the practice squad every year people think that these guys are just going to get claimed and then yeah. it doesn't happen like doesn't, that. Never, never. Yeah. I mean, you can yeah. sneak six and seventh round draft picks to the yeah. every once in a while, someone will get claimed, but uh, for the most part, you can sneak these guys to the practice squad. But um, if, if, if Gannon doesn't, and, and Gannon's going to have a say here too. Um, we talk a lot about Sirianni, but uh, it seems pretty clear to me that they're going to give Gannon, maybe not Jim Schwartz autonomy on defense, but they trust him. And he has a scouting background, too. So uh, they're going to listen to Jonathan Gannon when it comes to defensive players. So if he thinks that he doesn't have a use for Jannard Avery, I don't think they'd hesitate to cut him. Uh, last one for me, Dave, and kind of piggybacking off that, because Nick, one of his foundational aspects has been competition, and he talks about it all the time. And, and whether it's uh, the goopy stuff, rock, paper, scissors, tether ball, three-point shooting, or on-field stuff, the more important stuff, we all know Fletcher Cox isn't competing, Brandon Graham, Jason Kelsey. They aren't competing for their jobs. But, you know, one job that is legitimately up for competition is Andre Dillard, Jordan Mailata. How much does we bring Howie Roseman back into this? You know, first-round pick. It's kind of a Sophie's choice as well for him because, hey, he looks great for the seventh-round project who never played football. How, how much does that play into it, the other stuff, uh, the pedigree uh, versus the prospects, so to speak? Yeah, that, it's it's a fair question because you're right. I mean, either way, I think he looks good. You know, yeah. um, I, I think he probably looks a little better if it's Dillard because the flip side of my lot of getting the job is Dillard didn't, yeah. and now your first-round picks a backup. But how we might prefer that. Maybe if, if your other guys come along, you can trade Dillard. Uh, which I'm how we would always be open to, I think. So uh, I ultimately, I, I really do think the, the one thing that might play into it more, which would be unfair, but uh, the fact that my can play both sides. Yeah. Um, that it, it, it's, it's almost like, um, like get Dallas Goddard's blocking is a detriment to him. It's almost like Jordan, my versatility you worry could be a detriment to him because if they think, well, Dillard, if he's the backup, he's just the backup of one position. Whereas Mylotta, if he's the backup, he could be the backup swing tackle at either side if they feel like he's a lot better than Jack Driscoll, who would probably be the backup at right tackle. Um, so that could play a role. Uh, but ultimately, I, you know, they have Jeff, and it's funny. I asked Jeff Stalin who makes the decision, and he said Nick Sirianni. Yeah, I mean <laughs> Jeff Stalin's making this decision. You know, yeah. they're going to listen to whatever he has to say. So. Um, I think I, I kind of I, I have faith in Stoutland that he's not going to worry about that stuff as much, that he's going to just pick the best player for the job. Uh, so if that's the case, and that should be the case, I mean, yeah, Nick Sirianni is going to make the decision, but he's going to listen to whatever Jeff Stoutland says. So uh, if Jeff Stoutland's really the guy picking, I think he's just going to pick the best guy. And, and that's kind of exciting. I, I I don't know if anything's ever just a true competition, go out there and win it, but this is, I, I think, maybe as close as you're going to get to that. 
Dave, let's go full circle. I asked you about this earlier, and I want to take it in a slightly different direction. Part of what all three of us have to do is analyze past performance and predict future performance. So I'm asking you to analyze the performance of the Philadelphia Eagle organization. If Zach Ertz never catches another ball for the Philadelphia Eagles, there is a separation. He goes elsewhere. He doesn't come back for a uh, last second. He retire as an Eagle type guy and get a game in. He never catches another ball as an Eagle. Did the Eagles retire his number? Oh, that's tough. Um, yeah, he's close to it, it's there's he's, he's like close. close to that line. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. It, if he would have passed Harold, I'd probably say yes. Yeah. Now you can kind of get get out you of can, it. If he's if he's the all time receiving leader, uh, that I might mean, be different. Yeah, I mean they haven't retired Shady's number, but they've retired Shady's number. Yeah. You can't retire. I mean, you just can't really retire all these yeah. numbers. Right, they're out of numbers. So they do like these quasi retirements and they just don't give them out. I mean, they do that. I was actually surprised they gave away Malcolm Jenkins 27 this quick. Yeah, that was fair. They gave it away to Zach McPherson this year. I I thought that he kind of deserved a, like if they do this for all these guys, I thought he deserved a little more of a, a buffer. Uh, It's a tough one. I'm on the fence about Zach Ertz. Okay. You can make the case both ways. I mean, he, he all time. Great. He's going to fall short at Hall of Fame unless he has some kind of resurgence yeah. in the end part of his career. But uh, if he ends up in the Hall of Fame, which isn't out of the question, by the way, I mean, he, he can put together a couple more good years and be there. So, um, Right, but Donovan McNabb is not making the Hall of Fame, and they did retire his number. That's yeah, odd. but that's, a, that's, that's oh. the quarterback. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's your quarterback for a decade, took you to all those championship games to a Super Bowl. I just, uh, as we're having this discussion, Dave, I just changed my mind. I'm saying yes because of the Super Bowl as well. Fourth and one, one, even bigger than the touchdown. Fourth and one and the touchdown. I'm going yes, Jody. Yeah, you can make that case. It's funny, a few years ago, I did this story where I I asked a bunch of uh, players, uh, what's their best souvenir from the week in Minneapolis? And uh, he won. He's like, I have the football, like the game-winning Super he Bowl did, touchdown man. football. I was like, all right, yeah. yeah. yeah that's, that's kind of a <laughs> win. That's a drop yeah. the mic one. Some guy yeah, like, conversation over. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, I have my name played. I have some yeah. cleats. He's like, I have the game-winning touchdown Super Bowl or football. I was like, all right, you win. Yeah. You win. Dave, we won today because you were good enough to come on with us. We appreciate that greatly. Enjoy your downtime up in Maine. Don't get bitten by too many bugs. All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, Dave. Dave Zingaro from NBC Sports. Yeah, I just changed my mind, Jody. Yes. Yes. Retire the number. Then we'll follow up with further conversation on this because I absolutely, positively, no questions asked say no. Really? For a very specific reason. I'll explain when we come back here on Birds 365. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say. But as I always say. It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life. Count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. 
Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest. Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. This is a key. It's a family tree. It's a pair of wings. It's a secret handshake. And a ticket to anywhere in the world. It's more than a uniform. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com. 
got your Mac and Mac guys, John McMullen, Jordan Stone here on Birds 365. Hour down, hour left to rock and roll. Hoping to have our buddy Matt Bruderam from Fansided.com, NFL National columnist, join us in about 20 minutes or so. Thank Dave Zangaro from NBC Sports Philadelphia for hopping on and uh, specifically his final answer because it lended right nicely into what I wanted to bring up with John for this segment. I was going to do it via the fact that Eli Manning is going to have his number retired by the Giants this upcoming uh, offseason. And uh, it, it got me into a conversation about retired numbers around the league, but specifically here in Philadelphia. There have been nine previous Eagles who've had their number retired. I could be really unfair and ask you to name the nine. Do you think you got them right off the top of your head, Johnny Mac? No. But I can give you a bunch uh, right off the top. Go ahead, bud. Uh, Donovan. Correct. uh, Reggie White. Correct. uh, Jerome Brown. Correct. uh, B-Talk. Correct. uh, Van Buren. Correct. uh, Bednarik. Correct. Um, You got got three three olders left. uh, Yeah, old guys I got to think about. Brookie? Brookie is correct, number 40. Uh, uh, Retzlaff? Pete Retzlaff, which means there is only one left. John McMullen is about to sweep the category. <laughs> uh, no, I don't think I am. I'm out. Uh, I'll mm. give you initials. A.W. Oh, Al Wistert. Al Wistert is the ninth yeah. and final Philadelphia. Yeah. John, I got to tell you, I'm impressed. You rattled them off pretty damn good. Um, but those are the nine Philadelphia Eagles who had their numbers retired. So let me do a little number crunching because I know you're not a numbers guy. Neither one of us <laughs> are, but maybe me a little bit more so than you. They now have 90-man rosters in the National Football League, right? Yeah. Well, off-season, yeah. Right, off-season. The Eagles have nine retired numbers. Even if you bring, I guess if you bring zero and double zero in, then you actually have a uh, 101. But at some point, if you have that many more retired numbers, you don't even have a number for every single player. No, you know, but I have my roster, my trusty roster right here. Very nice. And in the offseason, they do this a lot. There's offense and defense. So, there's two 32s, for instance. Jason Huntley on offense, uh, Nate Metters on defense. Uh, there's two 46s, Adrian Killens, uh, Jose Scott. Two 47s, LaBert Hill, uh, Trevon Grant. Trevon got cut, so he's gone. Um, there's two 61s. There's two 64s, two That's 66s. Just, that is just flat out wrong. Yeah. If you have to share your number yeah. with a teammate, that's wrong in yeah. my estimation. There's a lot of them, 76. Uh, so that's how they get around that. Um, I, You know, Dave brought up a good point about 27 and Malcolm Jenkins because they've done that official – uh, unofficial retiring Nick Balls, they haven't given out. That mm-hmm. hasn't been that long. Uh, Randall Cunningham, they haven't given out for a very long time. Uh, number 12, uh, Shady as well. And Brent Selleck. So I will say this, you know, Brent, very good player here for a long time. But 
that's not comparable. So they better at least unofficially retire Zach Ertz's number. I'll say that. Right. But if you got Selleck and you got, and remember, uh, the one thing that plays to the Eagles' favor and every other team's favor is the fact that they've relaxed the use of certain numbers at certain positions. It used to be that you were hard and fast. If you play this position, you must wear a number between X yeah. and Y. They've actually relaxed that a little bit, which does give you some more flexibility. But I, I just think it's bad that you have to have two players in camp with the same number. Now, I know it's going to be two players that are uh, have a percentage chance to make the team, and it might not be a very high percentage chance, and uh, one of them is probably going to be gone. But if you're one of those guys in camp, and you know you're sharing your number with another guy, Nick Sirianni could talk about competition. It all comes down to competition. We're competing in absolutely everything. You're already behind the eight ball. You've got a number that another guy has. You're number 68, and who you standing next to on the sidelines? Number 68. That's wrong. You, you, well, you, you, uh, yeah, you have your own number. And by the way, th- Jody, this is why coaches, one of the biggest cliches in the coaching world is control what you can control. Because forget about numbers. You're right. I mean, you know if you're sharing a number, you're not Blesser Cox. You know yeah. But And you're talking about competition. So if you start feeling sorry for yourself, yeah, I mean, things can go really negative for you but guess what if you see the depth chart and you're fifth to sixth on the depth chart you know the same thing and you know all your time and that's why coaches say that control what you can control get better you know if you prove something you're going to be here and even if you don't even if we don't have room for you somebody else is going to pick you up in this league so you know it's one of those things it's it's really hard mentally on players and they got to find their own way how to get through it. But yeah, you can get you can get very uh, depressed very early if you know you're looking so far deep on the depth chart. You know, you start doing the math. You're not going to make the team. You know how do guys handle that? It's all different. It's, you got to yeah. be mentally tough. We've been talking about mental toughness with Ben Simmons. You got to be mentally tough to get through stuff like that. All right. So, you know, I love my hypothetical questions and this is as hypothetical as it gets. So let me run it by you. Which would you feel more challenged as if you were a player on a team and you not only shared a number with one player, but you shared a number with two other players. <laughs> that three guys <laughs> had the same number. Well, in theory, they could do that because they could have 61 offense, 61 defense, 61 special teams. Right. They want to have a kicker. Exactly. So uh, if you're sharing the number or you're a member of the Philadelphia Eagles this year and they give you Fletcher Cox's number as well. Uh, which, which do you actually feel that much less well, confident about? Being yeah, one I mean, of three or the guy who's got the same number as Fletcher Cox. Well, that's never going to happen. But I, I will say this. Remember, you go down to 53. So the important part of this is everybody gets their own number when you get down to 53. Nobody's doubling up. So as long as – what are the Eagles at? Nine, Jody? Nine retired Nine numbers? retired numbers, correct. The only number that matters is the 53. So they got plenty of room. They got plenty of room to retire Zach Ertz. 
All right. The preseason numbers don't count, but uh, I guess if uh, you, Johnny Mac, you're there every single day and you've got, as you said, your trusty roster so you can stay on top of it. But you can you could uh, be careful with that. You'd fake out some Eagle fans pretty easily if you've got uh, a bunch of 53s, 54s, 55s running around. Um, well, some Houston, uh, a lot of the Houston reporters were upset because um, – they didn't have numbers. They just had guys out there, and <laughs> they didn't know who anybody was. Poor John McClain, who's been covering the Texans forever, didn't know who anybody was. They didn't have numbers on the players. It was speaking, unbelievable. Speaking Patriots of John, have done that as well, I think. Speaking of John McClain, uh, he's been on my show a bunch of times over the years. We got Remind me that we got to try and get him on – Birds 365. I think Johnny Mack will come on for me because he's been good to me and hopping on my national radio show. Um, but besides that, um, shoot, what was I uh, going to be? Oh, yesterday's show. We got Matt Verderam from Fansided, a very good national <laughs> reporter who's scheduled to join us coming up in about 10 minutes from now. We had Connor Orr on yesterday with Sports Illustrated, and he made a great point uh, that I hadn't thought of, and I know you hadn't thought of either because you go, Damn, that's a good point. I hadn't thought of that um, about the fact that the NCAA is going to be forced the legislation coming out of the Supreme Court to pay players going forward. Not only are they going to be able to make money in their own likeness with uh, autographs and any money they can garner from social media, but the NCAA, at least the as the opinion of the Supreme Court, should be told that you can go ahead and pay the players because we don't want to restrain the trade of players being able to make money any way they want. Your whole idea of amateurism should go by the wayside, which when we asked the kind of the, the, how it's going to shake out of Connor War, he said, oh, yeah, it's just going to mean the rich get richer. The bigger universities with the bigger backers, with the alumni that funnel money into the program, We'll have that much more to give to the top high school talent around the country. So the best players are going to go even more so. As they expand the playoff picture in college football, it's probably going to be more likely that it's going to be Alabama and Clemson and Notre Dame and the usual suspects that we see in there all the time because players are going to start to get paid. Uh, which he took another step and said, and then the influence it will have on the National Football League is Guys will be in specific systems and they'll yeah. be coming out of these universities year in and year out. Will that not force, but push NFL teams to say, yeah, you know, their system is working for them. They've got all these good players. If we already have the system in place and we're going to be picking those players, wouldn't it be easier just to take them out of a system that they've already excelled in? and put them into our system and know they're going to fit like a glove because they did the same thing on the collegiate level. I, I, I You said it. I felt it. I hadn't even thought it through that far. Yeah. And that was a great point by Connor Orr. Is that good or bad, John? If, if Connor Orr has got a great uh, crystal ball of the future of football and he's dead on right, is that good or bad for the pro football, college football? Well, it's certainly bad for college. I will say that it's terrible for college. I mean, people don't understand. I get it. It, you know, and, and luckily there's going to be some time. I think people have not understood this ruling. It's very limited. I mean, players are ultimately going to get played paid at the college level, but it's going to take a while. Number one, number two, 
there are some other issues they have to deal with as well, most notably Title IX. So you have to share revenue at the college level amongst lesser revenue generating sports. So there's a lot of hurdles you got to go through. <clears throat> but ultimately, Jody, as far as systems, I, I've often said the NFL, maybe I can't think of another industry where innovation trickles up, I always say. You know, it trickles up, really, and people say college. Really, it starts at high school, then it goes to college, and then it trickles up to the NFL, finally. Uh, the second part is they keep limiting work at the professional level. So coaches don't have time. Right. So, yeah, I think they would default to, okay, this is what Jalen Hurts did well in college. Let's run this. Let's try to get Lincoln Riley, which the Eagles did, by the way. Um, let's try to get a college coach. Let's try to do it. I just think it makes it easier. It, it's going to make the game. And this is where I think Bill Belichick's brilliant. I think, you know, because I think everybody sort of gets in their little group think uh, 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 echo chamber. And, you know, you have these grand ships, and now we talked about it a little bit at the beginning of the show in baseball and analytics. You have that in football as well. I don't think it's about one way or the other. I think it, it's about finding something nobody else does and being ahead of the curve. And what Belichick, what, in other words, when everybody's zigging, you got to zag. Because if, if, it, what I'm trying to say, Jody, if 32 teams are doing the exact same thing, doesn't matter what that thing is. It means the best one of the 32 wins. Right. If you find something truly innovative, if you do something truly different, then you have the advantage. Not Then everybody copies and you got to keep ahead of the curve. So if everybody's doing the same thing, this is RPOs, spread offense, well, then it's just who does it the best. You're back right. to execution. <laughs> You're back to where you were, just with a different formula. And that's where I think Belichick is brilliant. So the coaches that zag are always going to be the best coaches. And <clears throat> the reason that Belichick is as great as he is, he is, to me, Belichick has not been a head-of-the-curve guy. He's just been a better-at-everything uh, guy. He does everything a little bit better than all 31 of the other coaches in the National Football League. There's nothing really that Bill Belichick did during his entire tenure in New England. I go, wow, how innovative was that? Oh, I, I disagree with that, Jody. Man. What was I, he innovative with? Tell me. Well, number one, I think he 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 trusts his players more than anything else. We, we constantly talk about it, especially defensively, and why is he trusty players? Because he teaches his players better than anybody else. But we talk about, oh, do you run a 4-3? Do you run a 3-4? The Patriots run what they want. They might run one thing one week and something completely different the next week. I still have yet to see an NFL team do that. I look at Sean McVay. Sean McVay is the, the flavor of the month in the NFL. He's been the flavor of the month for years now. That Super Bowl, man, he just got an 11 person. He ran the same thing. He ran the same thing, the whole never adjusted. And Belichick just, he admitted he was shell shocked after the game. He was shell shocked. 
uh, because they wouldn't fall for the, the eyewash um, because he had his players disciplined. He taught them well. Uh, but no other coach ships uh, literal his philosophy from week to week, never mind year to year. He does it from week to week. He's zagging when everybody else zigs. Okay, so the best his, quarterback his innovation is that he's flexible. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Depending on how you slice and dice it, you're right. Uh, that he should get credit for that. And when we call him the goat, that does kind of mean we're giving him credit. All right. Uh, speaking of giving credit, we want to give some to our buddy Matt Verderam from Fan Sided. He's going to join us next here on Birds Three Sixty Five. I get scared sometimes of a lot of things. Joining in decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say. But as I always say. It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest. Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. This is a key. It's a family tree. It's a pair of wings. It's a secret handshake. And a ticket to anywhere in the world. It's more than a uniform. It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com.
we appreciate all you guys hopping on to the stream of Birds 365 on the Jacob Media YouTube channel. John McMullen, Jody McDonald here with you. Uh, we're adding a third voice for the next 20 minutes or so, and he's an educated one at that. When it comes to pigskin, does a great job for fansided.com. It's podcast, which I just checked out uh, for the first time. Shame on me, because I've had Matt on as a uh, guest for about the last year or so. Uh, Stack in the Box is phenomenal as well. Matt Bertram from Fansided joins us here on uh, Birds 365. How are you, Matty? Doing good, guys. How are you? Doing good, Matt. Good to see you again. Thanks for joining the program. Want to start you off with a little curveball. We'll get into the more uh, the bigger stories, but I, I did find something interesting uh, with Justin Fields coming out of Chicago. The plan that he's not going to compete for the starting job week one. When you have a high profile quarterback, first round pick that high, it's not top five, but it's close. Um, how, how much? pressure you can say it in june but how much pressure is it to get those kinds of guys on the field early a lot and i'm based in chicago a whole lot <laughs> okay they play the rams week one on sunday night football if andy dalton starts that game and plays terribly there is going to be a chorus of people on monday morning saying get him out <laughs> get justin fields in why are we waiting this is ridiculous. Fire Ryan Pace. Fire Matt Nagy. <laughs> they, I mean, this is a city that is starved for a quarterback. When is the last time the Bears had a great quarterback? Sid Luckman? Sid Luckman, yeah. Sid Luckman, right? Like, so if, if you're if you're a Bears fan, especially if Fields plays in the preseason and plays really well, and that's why I don't I do not understand why like coaches and teams put themselves in these corners. Just go into camp and say, look, the best guy is gonna play. That's it. Just like in any other position, you wouldn't say that about any other position. It, and, and and conversely, it's like with Jacksonville when you got Brian Schottenheimer saying, "Well, you know, we don't know Trevor Lawrence is going to be the starter." Yes, you do. <laughs> you're, you're not lying to anybody here and, and, and getting anyone to believe you. So I don't know why Matt Nagy did that. I like Matt Nagy. I think he's a better coach than people believe. But I thought he boxed himself in a corner a little bit. And yeah, there's not going to be a lot of patience with that if the Bears lose Week One. I didn't even know John was going to go there. But since he did, no problem. Let me follow up with this. What's going to happen to Nick Foles? If there is a question about who's going to be the starter, is it going to be Andy Dalton or Justin Fields? And yes, it could run from before they ever play a preseason game through game one, and it could go on all year. Then you got Nick Foles, who is near and dear to a lot of Philadelphians' hearts because of what he did in the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. He is entrenched as the number three quarterback. Do yes. you really need a number three quarterback? I, I, I'm checking, I'm questioning the Eagles because they got Nick Mullins as their number three quarterback. I want a developmental guy. Yeah, John says, well, the developmental guy is a starter. And the same thing could be in Chicago if Justin Fields is the start, starter. What does Nick Foles' tenure in Chicago look like? Brief. Um, look, I think if, if you're the Bears and you can trade him, even just for a of conditional pick, something like that, uh, you would do it. I, at this point, look, if you trade him, I just brought up his numbers. Like you would, you'd eat two point six million. You'd, you'd save four. Um, now, if you cut him, you're eating eleven point six, um, and you're only saving five. So, I, I think either way, though, they're going to do it. I mean, even if they had to eat the eleven, okay, well, you're still at least 
saving five million. Um, I don't see why he would want to be there as a third string quarterback, and I don't see why they would keep him there on such a deal, right? Like, there's no team that could use him as a backup. I find that hard to believe. So, um, I don't think he's going to be in Chicago come Labor Day. I, I just don't see any real reason. Um, and for him, look, Nick Foles is kind of like – he feels like a cat with nine lives. Like he just – he bounces around. He ends up in places, right? And it looked like his career was over with the Rams, and then he ends up with the Chiefs for a year, and all is lost, and then he goes back to the Eagles and went Super Bowl. So uh, I, I think he'll end up as a backup somewhere else, whether it's getting cut and, and signed or it's just – it's getting traded for a you know flyer of a pick. Matt, I, I, Carl Nassib is obviously the biggest story nationally, far bigger than even the NFL. You got the president of the United States chiming in, uh, everybody supporting Carl Nassib as they should. You know, it was interesting. We had Amy Trask on a couple of weeks ago uh, talking about Catherine Raich, uh being hired by the Eagles as the highest ranking female in personnel. And what she said to us, and I'll say it again on the show, is that it, it'll be great when this isn't a story. In other words, you know, when people just move on and say, oh, they hired Catherine Race, let's see what she does. Same thing with Carl is, is, is the fact when we get to the point uh, where the president doesn't have to chime in uh, on somebody in the NFL, how do we get to that point? Can we get to that point? Yeah, we can. And we get to that point with people like Carl Nassib who come out and say, look, this is who I am to some degree. You know, as a part of my story. You know, I'm, I'm a gay man in the NFL and I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not going to hide it. I'm not going to closet it. I, I think, you know, that's where you, every once in a while you'll see somebody say, well, who cares? Who cares? Well, why does it matter? Well, it matters because you, you give an identity to someone who maybe is a young athlete who's gay, who all of a sudden says, you know what, if he can do it and he has the courage to come out and say it, then I can have the courage to come out and say it. And the more people that do, then I think that's where you're kind of getting to the less that it, it matters from a societal standpoint. And now it's just, oh, that's fine. Who cares? Well, Carl Nassib, you know, he was gay and he played in the NFL. And, and so why does it really matter that much? It's no big deal. And, you know, listen, I think it's, it's great. He's gotten the support that he's gotten both from the NFL, from around the NFL. That'll help other people to come out. You know, I always, I always kind of chuckle when, when you know, you'll see the, the Twitter commenter who says, well, you know, I, I, I just, I can't believe that that would be the case. And so you don't think there have been gay players before Carl Nassib, who just happened to be the other There were, there were, you know, famously multiple gay players in the sixties who played under Vince Lombardi in Washington. Oh yeah. You know, Dave Ezra Tuolo, I covered one of the first players I covered. Sure. Uh, and so, back on Minnesota. Yeah. This is not a new deal, you know, having gay players in the league, having gay players in any sport. It's just now that, that we're at a point in society where people feel more comfortable uh, in coming out and doing so. And I think that's great. And I think as, as time goes on and more players come out and do so while they're active, that's when we get to a point where it, it's not a big deal. And it's just it's not covered as though it's a landmark event because it's not anymore. It's just it's just part of that player's story, and that's fine. Can he play? Can he not? That's all that matters. And a great sideline story, uh, at least for the last 48 hours. Number one selling jersey in the National Football yeah, League. Yeah. Carl yeah. Nassib jumps yeah. past all the drafted quarterbacks <laughs> and superstar players and the like. Uh, a week ago, uh, 100 football fans line them up. What team is Carl Nassib up? Chances are 90 of them can't tell you. 
but now people are running out and buying his jersey, which is a great thing. Uh, a note I saw in your column, which I thought was great. It's funny how I always believe that. It's great if I hadn't thought of it. Uh, 17-game <laughs> season this year, the NFL has never had a 6,000-yard quarterback. Joe Willie the first to 4,000, then they expanded games, and it went past 5,000. We're only adding one game this time, right. um, and it's not imp- It's not like they're going to have to a quarterback going to have to average 400 yards. It's 350 and change if he plays all 17 weeks. Give me that percentage chance, Matt Birdram, that we actually do get a 6,000 yard passer this year. And if not, how close is close? I think it's probably about a five to 10 percent chance. It's just hard, you know. All it takes is having one game where you throw for 200. And now you got to throw for 500 to even out that yeah. out. You know, that, yeah. that's where, you know, I'm sure we're going to have a guy who's on pace for it after like four or five games, like Dak would have been last year. Oh, obviously, unfortunately, he gets derailed by injury. But even if he's healthy, it just becomes so hard. Like, I think you'd have to be on a bad team, you know, because I'm sure if there are odds out there in Vegas, and God knows there probably are in some book, if you look at, oh, hey, who, you know, who's the most likely guy to do that? It'd probably be like Rodgers and Mahomes. But those teams win all the time. So, you know, th- those guys are going to throttle down in the fourth quarter. They're not going to be going guns blazing for, you know, for four quarters. I mean, Mahomes went through 5,000 yards, did it, because he couldn't stop anybody. And they had to keep scoring. So I-, I think, you know, you're more likely to see a guy on a, on a bad team do it, a guy who's just got it throw and throw and throw and throw. But it's it's so hard. I wrote it in the columns. I was just thinking, you know, obviously we've already seen guys rush for 2,000 yards. I think the next benchmark is going to be 2,500 um, you know, now that, that'll be interesting to see if a guy does that, just considering how the game has moved toward the past. But, um, you know, the, the, you know, who's the first guy to get to 25 sacks? Who, you know, who's the first receiver to get to 2,000 yards? You know, Calvin Johnson almost did it. Jerry Rice almost did it. Um, but I, I think it's like a 5 to 10% chance. You, you know, eventually it'll happen. You'll have some quarterback who just is a great, great player with some weapons around them and has a terrible defense behind them. Right. And, and just and just chucks it 50 times a game. It'll happen, but I don't know that it'll happen this year. Matt, uh, I want to say I'm not as sure as it's going to happen for this reason. I look around sports as a whole, and I think load management is coming to the NFL. And I, and I hear, even though it's just one game different, you start to hear the whispers of, Okay, we're gonna we're gonna rest the guy here. We're gonna rest the guy there, and then you couple in the sort of I don't know if it's a plan. Uh, that's probably a bad word, but the league is certainly trying to get players away from pushed into a corner. Really, let's be honest, as they always are, get players away from toward all, go in different directions, get away from opioids, go in different directions from pain relievers, and guess what? If you don't have Toradol, you're not going to be able to play through certain things. So how much does the load management scale back those kind of expectations? Maybe missing two or three games becomes more the norm. You know, it could. It could. I'll be the first to say, if, you know, look, first of all, especially in football with non-guaranteed contracts, if you have an injury and you want to sit <laughs> that game out, you ought to. Because from a career standpoint, you're better off. Um, that said, the, the load management stuff, and I'm a Knicks fan, so uh, I, I basically was just brought back to the NBA after 20 years of, of, of <laughs> 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 um, 
I, I can't stand all that stuff in the NBA. I'm, I'm just, with you, I but mean, I think it's coming. Oh, it might. I mean, but it, it drives me crazy. The NBA has just turned into where guys play 50 games because they just basically need a vacation halfway through the year, which, by the way, happens in no other sport. Does not happen in hockey. Does not happen in baseball, right? Like, in baseball, if there's ever a sport with 162 games to play every day, you'd think that would be the one where guys would want, like, a day off a week. Nope. Doesn't happen there. But basketball, guys need, like, two weeks off in the middle of the season. Anyway, I digress. Like, I could it happen? It could. It could. I I just think the mentality in football is such that you play. You play. It doesn't matter what the weather is. It doesn't matter if you're hurt. Like, you better get out there and play. Now, maybe there's a, a, the new age athlete that changes. And I don't think it would be the worst thing in the world. Again, if you're hurt, you probably should sit. Um, but I just think it's so ingrained in the NFL culture. Oh, you've got a, you know, you've got a fractured leg. We could tape it. We could tape it. You know, or the old Lombardi, you know, if it's not sticking yeah. out, it's not broken, right? Like, so maybe it's not, it's not a crazy thought, but I, I think in the NFL that mentality carries you a long way, right or wrong. I just think it does. Maddie, we haven't uh, talked about this here on this show for a couple of weeks, and I'll apologize in advance for dragging you there with us. But now we've got continued hot air coming out of Houston because of the lawsuits against Deshaun Watson. And Rusty Harden, who's representing a, it's almost a class lawsuit now, a lot of the individuals are claiming that Deshaun Watson had inappropriate behavior during massages with them, stated this week that he believes that the NFL has not even interviewed Deshaun Watson yet. Is that actually true? Can that be true? Can they be doing an investigation without saying, Deshaun, we need <laughs> you to sit down and talk to one of our investigators. Is this just lawyer bloviating tactics, or do you think that's actually true? Is it, is it possible? Yeah. I mean, you know, anything's possible. I, I, I'll put it this way. I don't know whether it's true or not, but I don't think it'll be true by the end of the investigation. If it is, then the investigation's not good. Right. Yeah, like it, you, you have to sit down with Sean Watson. You have to. Otherwise, what are you really doing? You know, you have to inter you have to investigate and you have to in investigate thoroughly. It has to be on both sides of the aisle here. It has to be any alleged victim willing to come forward and talk. And it has to be the accused, in this case, Sean Watson, who sits down with Roger Goodell and any other league officials and says, look, this is my side of things. I, I think we're getting to an interesting point, though. You know, now we're five weeks or so away from training camp. How long does this go on before the league puts him on the, the commissioner's exempt list, right? Which for anyone who doesn't know is essentially you're suspended, but with pay. Um, I, I think it's got to be fairly soon. The NFL is not going to want Deshaun Watson breaking camp with the Texans here. They're not going to want that. Not, not with all these legalities and all the legal issues hanging over his head. Um, and that becoming obviously what would be a dominant story this summer. I have to think at some point the NFL is either going to wrap its investigation and make a determination, which I think is hard to do with, with all these, these yeah. pending cases, or they're going to say, look, we're putting on the commissioner's exempt list until all this is figured out. And now, now I, I don't know how he'd feel about that. He might say, well, why? I'm, I've not been found guilty of anything. I haven't done anything wrong. I'm maintaining my innocence. But, you know, the NFL has shown that it will punish somebody without any legal findings of guilty. So right. I would have to think he's going to go on the commissioner's exempt list. It's just a matter of time at this point, unless magically these cases just go away between now and July 27th. 
Yeah, and I think Nick Cesario just kind of spoke, I think it was last week, and said he expects some, you know, clarity, at least by the beginning of training camp. I think we all thought commissioner's exempt list at that point. Uh, he's not going to show up to camp. He's not going to be there. But, you know, from a larger perspective, Matt, I want to ask you about the NFL. Take Deshaun Watts of it, uh, out of it, Deshaun Watson out of it. Should they be in the investigation business or should they just say, look, let's let this play out. We'll put people on the exempt list. Let's let this play out. Let's let the investigators do this and better educate the public. Because I think that's the problem. I think it's a PR problem from the league standpoint, because you know how fans are. They want who certain again. They want this guy suspended. They want this guy banned. Well, there's legal implication. You can't just do that. So if you better educate the public, maybe it's better than getting into something you're not very good at or equipped to do, to be honest. There's no subpoena power. I I agree with you. I, I don't like I think the NFL years ago waded into very choppy waters when it decided, yeah, we're just gonna we're gonna have our own investigation team. We're gonna look into this stuff. I understand why, but at the same point, like in, in my eyes, it should be just like anything else with when it comes to legals, uh, legal stuff in the United States, which is to say, look, you're innocent, you're proven guilty. And I get it. Like the NFL doesn't want to show Watson in the public eye right now because of everything's gone on. So it, it would be, it would become a dominant storyline. Like I totally understand that from a business standpoint. Um, but you start going down a real slippery slope where, hey, we, we're going to punish a guy who's been accused of something, even if we don't know if he's guilty of it, even in some cases where things have been dismissed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and look, obviously, that doesn't always mean that that person was innocent. That person very well could have been guilty and, and got off either because of, of a settlement or intimidation or just whatever. A jury found them innocent. They were wrong. I mean, that, but that also happens around the country with all walks of life where people get away with things they shouldn't get away with. I agree. I, I And I think look, my bigger problem with the NFL is it just feels so arbitrary. The punishments range from like where you go, oh, I think this guy's going to get two games. He gets seven. I think this guy's going to get half the season. He gets one. Right. I get that's where, you know, I think you also get into trouble. And God knows they're not the only league with that issue. The, the NHL is notorious for that with, with on ice stuff where, you know, guys, you think they're going to get suspended for a lifetime and they get a five thousand dollar fine. Um, but I, I think there should be, if you're going to do this, and I think now they have to, because they've set a precedent and, and at this point you almost have to follow through with it. I think they should have more of a stringent, this is the penalty for this. This is a penalty for this. This is a penalty for this. And it should be clear and it should be concise, which I don't think it is right now. All right, Matty, I want to get your take on, uh, the GOAT, the greatest of all time quarterback, Tom Brady. Um, pretty big deal over the last couple of days. Uh, he's on LeBron James's TV show, uh, the chop, the barbershop, he, Maverick Carter sitting around high level athletes in all sports, a lot of different sports and, uh, famous musicians and actors and actresses and like, I think it's a really good show on HBO. I make sure I watch it every time. Well, he's got Brady, LeBron's got Brady on in this next upcoming episode and they clipped a, uh, little promo uh, part out of it 
for the upcoming show in which Brady talked about being a free agent and the process and where it went to eventually at the end. And he's talking about a team and they don't tell you what team it is. But he said, in the end, they were out on me. And I said to myself, I can't believe they're going to go with this MF for a quarterback rather than me. And it really is a great promo, but it also makes you think, who dropped the ball? Who is the, the team that Brady felt so motivated to say, wait a minute, they're going with that mf rather than me at quarterback? Who do you think? Because you know it's going to leak out at some point. Yeah. Who do you think is the team that's going to get egg on its face? You know, I've seen some people say it's Tennessee. Maybe it is. I think it's either the Raiders or the Niners. I it's just... I I just feel like now I don't know what his personal relationship is like with Jimmy Garoppolo. Maybe they're maybe they're cool, and he wouldn't say that about him. Maybe he can't stand them, and he absolutely would say that about him. I I don't know, um, but I think you know that you knew that the Niners and the Raiders were involved in in trying to recruit him last year. At least had interest in him. So you know, I could I could see Brady saying that about Derek Carr, being like, really, like Derek Carr has never won a playoff game. And you're you're staying with Derek Carr, okay? You know, and I, you know, Garoppolo. Obviously, if, if they don't have the best of terms between the two of them, you could say it about him as well. Uh, I've seen some people say it about the Bears, but I feel like with the Bears last year, it was more of a case if they had no money. Um, so I mean, you know, look, maybe that wouldn't stop Brady from feeling that way, but I, I think they just they couldn't do it. If the Bears could have gotten Tom Brady, they they would have walked across Lake Michigan to do it. So um, my guess is either the Raiders or the Niners. You know, I'll say the Raiders. I'll, 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 you know, stab <laughs> at it. But whoever it was, not great because uh, it worked out all right for Tampa last year. And I'll tell you the team yeah. it should have been. And I brought this up. Sorry, John. Um, Denver never really got involved. We had a Denver guy on right. a couple of weeks ago. How do you not if you're Denver? You've I got know. Drew Locke. You had already gone down that road of bringing in Peyton Manning. Late stages, all he does is get you to two Super Bowls and win one of them, even though, kind of like that Elway guy, uh, he wasn't the main reason why they ended up winning the one that they did. Oh, Brady's still capable of being damn close to the reason that you win. Why was Denver never involved with Brady last year? Because I'm with you. I think you named three good teams, and you didn't name Denver, which I think is correct, because they got out of it so early the way Brady said it was like, at in the end, they decided not to make a play. Yeah. I don't think Denver was ever in that mix. Why weren't they? I don't know. And I don't understand. Like Denver, I don't understand Denver's offseason this year, right? Like, okay, you went out and you, you traded for Teddy Bridgewater, which, okay, it's fine, I guess. I don't think it, it really matters. You're in a division with with Herbert, who's gonna, who looks like he's going to be a damn good quarterback for the next 15 years. And you're in, you're in a division with Mahomes. Like, I'm sorry. You're never <laughs> winning that division with Drew Locke. Ever. I don't like, you know, and I see so many Broncos fans, even media types around them say, well, what if he gets a lot better? Okay, and becomes what? And becomes what? Ryan Tannehill? Yeah. You're still not ever winning the division. Like, you need a quarterback who can go toe-to-toe. That's why when all this stuff with Rodgers happened, especially the day of the draft, if I'm, if I'm the Broncos, I'm giving up anybody. Like, anybody you want, I don't care. Who do you want? You want Jerry Judy? That's fine, right? Like, and I thought it was interesting when they passed on on Fields. Now, maybe Fields ends up becoming a bust and it doesn't matter, or Mac Jones, you know, whatever. I get that Patrick Sertan is just, just you know, prized corner. He could be Deion Sanders. 
it doesn't matter. You have Drew Locke. Right? <laughs> and that, I was I was shocked they passed on Justin Fields. When Fields was there and the Broncos are sitting on the clock, I thought, well, they have to take him. I mean, unless they know they have Rodgers in their back pocket somehow. But once the draft ends, it becomes a hell of a lot harder to trade for him. Like, I, I was yeah. shocked. But in, in regards to Brady, yeah, look, I, I just always believe if you can get that quarterback, even if it's for a couple of years, you just do it. You do it. You, you yeah. figure it out I'm afterwards. Not. You know, it wasn't like Brady had had some massive injury history or anything like that. Um, and they, they were not involved. They were not. And Tampa was. And obviously, yeah. Tampa's pretty happy about the end result. Well, for the record, guys, if that was a Rorschach test, uh, I went with San Francisco because I said the same thing. They're going to go with that mf over Tom Brady. I've said the exact same thing. So that's why I picked San Francisco. But I want to talk about the other GOAT, Matt, uh, Bill Belichick in New England, because he created a bit of a kerfuffle with the analytics people again yesterday, talking at the GM forum. Now, is Bill trolling because a lot of people talk themselves into he, – he uses advanced analytics. He's very secretive. Ernie Adams finally spoke for the first time at his retirement. Or, uh, are, are, you know, as a whole, I think the bigger question I want to ask you, why is this continued? You, you have this all over the league, analytics people versus football people. Why can't they just get along? <laughs> the ultimate athletic version of the Hatfields and the McCoys. Right. You know, like no head coach wants to hear in his ear, hey, Bill, there's a 79% chance if we run <laughs> left, we gain six yards. You know, and I know I think it was Andy Reid as well who also kind of said, Yeah, I yeah. don't really I don't do it. I'm old school even though I'm 32. I I think a lot of that stuff is so overblown. Like, look, every game is a game unto itself. Now, that doesn't mean it's not a useful tool. I think it is a useful tool. And I do believe that you're you're short-sighted and, and maybe cutting off your nose to spite your face, to, to use a tired cliche, um, if you don't at least consider it. Because you can look at tendencies and figure out certain things and how coaches play and how maybe quarterbacks like to throw the ball and target a side of the field. But I do think, you know, and we've seen it, of course, in baseball, where analytics have gotten to the point now that, you know, if, if – hey, we're, we're going to stick nine infielders on one side because he's going to hit a ground ball and it's going to be at an 80-degree angle, whatever. I, mean, I I believe that you can go overboard, but I do think it, as time goes on, there will be more of a marriage. And some teams are really into it. Baltimore is an example of a team that they, they love analytics. I mean, the Ravens use them constantly, um, you know. And I think, you know, like Andy Reid kind of said as well, yeah, I don't really go as much into the analytics. But I'll tell you, I mean, I, I grew up a Kansas City Chiefs fan. And believe me when I say they they go for it on fourth down in spots where you go, really? And every analytics nerd in the world is like, that's great. The Chiefs love analytics. When apparently they don't, and Andy just believes enough in Mahomes to go for it on fourth and two from his own 30, right? Like, and I think that's part of it. The statistics are all fine and well. Do you have the personnel to execute what those statistics are telling you? You know, yeah. is, is the weather a factor? Is is maybe maybe there's something where you just play a hunch, where you say, you know what, earlier in, this, in the game, the other team ran a play out of a formation that we've never seen them run it out of before, and now they're coming back out in a similar formation, and we think they're going to run that play again. And you just believe your, your gut. So I get it. 
like I think analytics are useful. I do also think they're overrated at times. And apparently I'm in decent company because Bill Belichick thinks yeah. that they're, they're useless. And Well, it's funny, Matt, because Doug Peterson was really successful using analytics and being aggressive when he had a really good team. When he didn't, he right. was less successful. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny how that works. Yeah. If you yeah, have more talent, you're more successful, right? Yeah. Like, I don't know. I, I get it. Football is hard too because it's you know unlike baseball, where there's 162 games and you have these massive sample sizes. In football, you have 17 games. Like you can have a weird, not just this a game. You can have a weird year where, for whatever the reason, you know what you just you know you have a Derek Anderson to the Pro Bowl situation where you're like, what? How did that happen? What happened? You know, Mitchell Trubisky had a really good year, went to the Pro Bowl one year. Like it's just you look at these things and say, okay, well. Why did that happen? Well, because it's football and 17 games. And you might have played a last place schedule and the team might have gotten a lot better around you in the offseason. Like, you know, I, I just think analytics are a little less useful in the NFL because of that reason. It's just such a – it's such a small – you play 10 years in the NFL, that's one baseball season. Yeah. As a horse racing degenerate fan that I am and wagerer, uh, I'll tell you right now, uh, there are a lot of things you can take into consideration when you're trying to pick a winner in a race, post position, jockeys, rest, uh, workout time. Give me the fastest horse. If one horse has run that much faster than everybody else previously, that's the one I want to be on. If I got Patrick Mahomes, yeah, I'm going to be aggressive and I'm going to take some chances. So good for Andy Reid. Um, last thing, Matt, uh, I'm going to ask you to look into the football crystal ball for me. It's been 20-plus years, 25, somewhere thereabouts, that we've actually had a repeat of a previous year's Super Bowl. The Bills and the Cowboys played back-to-back years in the bowl 20-plus years ago. And a lot of people are talking about the fact that it could be the Bucks and the Chiefs again by the time we get to February. If I tell you one of the two is guaranteed not to be there, which one you take it? Tampa. Because of the age of so many of their stars, right? I just Brady's forty-four, Gronk's older and has an injury history. Antonio Brown is older, Pierre Paul's older, Levante Davis on the other side of thirty, and Dominican Sue. Like I, and I think the NFC. While I don't think it's the better conference, you know, if Rodgers goes back to Green Bay, they could certainly get there. The NFC West is a handful of teams that could get there. Um, I think. I think there's just more of a chance that age and injury play a factor with Tampa, whereas with the Chiefs, they don't have a lot of guys who are on the other side of 30. I mean, Kelsey is 30, but he's been incredibly durable throughout his career. You know, Hill's a young guy. Mahomes is young. All these guys out on the offensive line are, are young. Um, I just I think it's I think it's more likely that Kansas City just comes out of the AFC than, than Tampa. Now I will say and I actually said this on my podcast, uh, Stack in the Box, yesterday. I never pick a repeat Super Bowl. I just don't. And, in fact, um, in my article on Fancy where I picked every game for the year, which was madness, <laughs> um, I picked Kansas City and Green Bay because I just – I think that if Green Bay is is back with Rodgers, I think they're, they're actually the better team. But with all this stuff going on with Rodgers, I will say, if there's ever a year to pick a repeat Super Bowl, I think it's this one. I mean, if Tampa's healthy – they're probably the most talented team. And then in Kansas City, at least in the NFC for Tampa anyway, my my thing with Kansas City is who's beating them in the AFC? Is it going to be Buffalo? Because Buffalo is pretty much the same team, and the Chiefs boat raced them twice last year. 
You know, and I would argue the Chiefs are better now with this offensive line that they've retooled. You know, Cleveland, I, I like Cleveland a lot. But I just look at Baker Mayfield. Is he going to? Is he beating Mahomes in a playoff game? Is he going to go in there, probably the Arrowhead, and score thirty-five? Because he's going to have to. You know, so hey, look, the odds say we are not going to have a repeat Super Bowl. And if I had to pick one team that does not get there again because of the age, the injury concerns, I would say Tampa is the more likely one. Well, we got we got a lot of time to figure it out on the field between now and February. We plan on having Matt Verderam back with us a bunch of times between now and then. Uh, Maddie, continue to enjoy your offseason. It's short. Before you know it, James will be opening. But uh, take a couple deep breaths, uh, and we'll get you back on when the uh, camps get back underway. Thanks, bud. Thanks a lot. Take care, guys. Matt Verderam does a really good job. Good podcasts, and you got to read them on fansided.com. And it's probably up there. I haven't seen it, uh, and I do go to fansided. But he has already picked the entire season. Every single game. He does it every single year. You need to know who's playing week six, the four o'clock window. Oh, he picks all those games. The Sunday night game on week 12. Oh, he picked that game. He picks every single game. That's a win. But, I hope he has the Eagles win. at eight and nine. That's an L. Sorry yeah. about that. That's an L, Johnny Mac. I hope he had the Eagles at eight and nine. I have to check oh, this should, out. We now. should have asked him yeah. that. Well, yeah. we got it. We, we'll get him yeah. out again before the season starts. John <laughs> McMullen, Jody McDonald, your Mac and Mac guys will come back, put a bow on the show here on Birds 365. I get scared sometimes of a lot of things. Joining in decisions, the dark, the dark. But I once heard someone say, but as I always say, it's okay to be afraid as long as you face the fear and keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest. Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Field of Life. First Trust Bank is there for you.
Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. This is a key. It's a family tree. It's a pair of wings. It's a secret handshake. And a ticket to anywhere in the world. It's more than a uniform. It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com. Coming down the home stretch of a Wednesday edition of Birds 365, McLean and McDonald. Uh, McMullen and McDonald, I'm thinking of John McClain. Here with you. Uh, Pepper Johnny Mac. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll see if we can get uh, Johnny Mac on before the week is over and done with. If not, maybe next week. Um, hey, real let, quick, Jody. Yeah. Uh, before you chime in, because I just saw during the break, the name Ertz trending. I got excited on social media. Did it finally happen? No. Julie Ertz. Julie, what's Julie up to? Name to the women's national team Tokyo roster. Very again. nice. So that's why. So congratulations to her. Yeah, that's going to stink if Zach doesn't know, A, where he's going to be playing, or B, uh, the fact that he can't go over and watch his wife compete for an Olympic gold medal. Yeah. He's kind of kind of out in nowhere land, isn't he, these <laughs> days, Mr. Ertz? Sorry to say that, Zach. Hope your golf game's going well. That's the last thing I wanted to bring up, Johnny Mac. Uh, we get a couple of our guests who are good enough to come on, and uh, they know when we pimp them, we're just having fun uh, about playing golf because we're on in the morning when people like to get out and beat the beat the sunshine and get those first few holes in before it starts to get hot, which, by the way, today it's going to be phenomenal. That's one of the reasons why I'm asking you this question because you can play at any time during the day. It's supposed to be comfortable and no rain and everything. So if you are getting out, Hopefully it was downright chilly this morning when I yeah. took the dog out. There. Had the dog out. It seemed like it was, yeah, good little chill that's going to get warm as the day goes on, but not uh, get crushed by the sun and burn people to a crisp. Are you a golfer at all? I've never asked you that. We talk about our guests as to whether they're golfers or not, but I've never asked Johnny Mack if you're a golfer. Um, I'm, I'm a golfer. I'm not a good golfer. Uh, no, I don't play that often. I probably play three, three times a year, I, but okay. I can hit them. I can hit it a long way when I actually hit it right. But my short game, Jody, disgustingly awful. You, you, you need some time with Phil Mickelson flop shot, not your strength. Oh no. I'm terrible. <laughs> I'm terrible. I either, used to... either I hit that thing 300 yards or yeah, I'm screwed. I used to play no mas. I haven't I haven't swung a golf club in anger in ten years, uh, but I used to play. And more, like two, more like two fifty. I'm not hitting at three hundred, but I can hit it a, a ways. Very, very nice. Uh, even when I played regularly in my 
20s into my 30s. I never got it out anywhere near close to 300. But I used to be able to hit it straight. Um, are you going out today? Are you going to the driving range? You're going to get 18 in? No, Is that in the no. John McClain future of the day? The, the, no. Johnny Mac, you keep calling me John McClain. I feel bad because uh, you got John McClain on the on, yeah, I, on, on the, the mind. My bad. Um, no, uh, I haven't been I haven't been out there probably in over a year. So it's been a while. I got I got to hit the driving range. I'll, I'll do it at some point. There you go. Do it today. What the hell else mm -hmm. you got to do? Uh, mm -hmm. Take the dog with you when you go out and drive. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not trying to dictate your day, Mr. McMullen. Uh, feel free to do it. I gotta go. you gotta, because, you know, the back, you got to get the back right, too. You got to get out to the driving range first. Very nice. Uh, stretch out the back, do whatever you got to do today. Just make sure you're back here in 22 hours. Uh, <laughs> both of us will figure something out to do for the next 22 hours, right? I'll figure something out. We both will. And I promise you, we will both be back in 22 hours right here on Birds 365. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.